Welcome to Witness Wednesdays here on the Walk Boldly with Jesus podcast. I am your host, Katherine Duggan. However, each Wednesday, I will have a guest give their witness of how God is working in their lives. Hearing how God is working in other people's lives shows us how deeply He cares for each one of us individually. Listening to these experiences will help your faith grow. I am so blessed to be able to share these with you. Let's get started. Our guest speaker today is my friend Mary C. Today Mary is going to start by telling us about how she first had the realization that God is real and that he has always been with her. Then she is going to tell us about several different times in her life where she experienced divine intervention. This witness is a little longer than usual, but I don't think you will mind as it's a truly wonderful witness to just how amazing God is. If you have ever wondered if God answers your prayers, this is the witness for you. If you've ever wondered what in the world God could do if you were stuck in a well, this is the witness for you. There are so many amazing things that Mary has witnessed, and I know you are going to enjoy hearing them as much as I did. Take it away, Mary. I met the Holy Spirit some 40 years ago on a summer's day in late June as my three children napped and I stood in front of the kitchen sink with my hands in the warm, soapy water, washing the noonday dishes. That day, however, was different in that it found me floating serenely backward on the wings of the Holy Spirit into a very deep cavern of time, somehow reliving my earliest memories, memories that had not been unearthed until that moment, some 33 years later. I was suddenly a toddler in a crib who wanted out of that crib and who shook the crib into walking inches from where it stood. I do recall that I was intent on bending my mother's will to suit me. I recalled my exact thoughts that day, which were, I'll cry and shake this crib until she lets me get up. My mother's discipline remained firm. When you have a bevy of children, my mother wisely understood that time for herself had to be set aside in order to recoup. And my mother practiced self-care. It makes me realize, though, that little children understand more than we realize. As I journeyed that day, I was suspended in a mysterious, miraculous eclipse of time. That day, I had somehow slowly inched forward in time as long ago memories piggybacked themselves one upon the other. A vivid palette of images in my own time-frozen thoughts arose in a perfect sequence covering a myriad of years and actual events from my life. As though brushed by the stillest breeze, the echo of the distant past rode slowly forward in time on the all-knowing and intimate wings of the Holy Spirit. 
my life and its long forgotten history accurately replayed and now obvious to me that it had all been meticulously recorded in God's infinite memory. Then in that brief eclipse of time, revelation erupted and rolled back the stone from the tomb in my mind. And I exclaimed in absolute joy, God, you do exist. You were there. You had your hand on my life all along, exhilarated by what I considered to be the undeniable proof that God exists. I exploded for the first time in my life into a spontaneous praise, which reflected part of the holy sacrifice of the mass when I said, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, alleluia, and then yelling out loud, loud, God, you do exist. Then in the very next instant, faced with the glory and the omnipresence of a true living and loving God, I became filled with a deep sense of my own pitiful unworthiness. I found myself instantly humbled at the now glimpse true purity and goodness of God. A contrite sadness at my own worthiness replaced my joy. I am so humbled in that moment that I state, I am a rag. The spirit, however, born anew is no longer hindered by unbelief and swiftly unlocks the door to my heart. And now I can clearly hear the voice of our Savior. Lovingly, he says, I accept you right where you are at. Before the moment of my discovery ended, I asked the Lord to further my education in the faith. The following Sunday, I went to church and I noted while perusing the bulletin that on Thursday evenings, there was a prayer meeting and that all were invited. I knew it was God's answer to my request and I went. Now I'm gonna jump backwards in time. I'm going to call this the unseen well, because that's what it was. I was born a cradle Catholic. I was born at Lowell General Hospital and lived in the Sacred Heart Parish where I was baptized and where I lived until I was 12 years old, at which time my family moved to the Centerville section of Lowell, where I then became a student at St. Michael's School. One of my earliest memories of God was sitting in front of the tabernacle at the Sacred Heart Church. I am going to say that at that time, I believe I was five years old. The church doors were always open in those days, and I would go sit in the front pew and contemplate the grandiosity of God. I vividly remember that I would think to myself, the greatest power in the universe sits in that golden place 
waiting for us to come before him. It was a difficult concept for me to digest, but I wanted to believe it. And I guess I thought by sitting there in front of the tabernacle, I would receive some affirmation of the truth of this unbelievable doctrine of the church. The parish my family lived in was small and the neighborhood streets surrounding it became very familiar to me over the many years that we lived there. The street that we lived on back then was a dead end street and the neighborhood was filled with children whom my sisters and I would play with. At the end of our street, there was a flat hill that if you walked upon the top of it, you would get a full view of the whole backside of the neighborhood. A railroad used to run parallel to the flat top of the hill, but had been discontinued sometime in the past and before my time. One winter's day, I went for a walk upon the hill with my sister and her best friend. The neighborhood kids deemed the flat top of that hill the Rocky Mountains. Don't ask me who came up with that name. The Rocky Mountains would have been horrified at the comparison. At any rate, on that particular day, a previous, previous night's snowstorm had dusted the flat top hill in a layer of freshly fallen and untouched snow. The three of us strode together that day on the hill. They walked ahead of me as I purposely lagged behind to languish in the beauty of the freshly fallen crystalline snows, which glistened far and wide and bounced off the rays of the sun and covered all that I could see. Suddenly, I dropped from off the surface of the land and found myself in a deep circular well with the fresh fruit of ice cold water rushing to meet my waist. That day, I was thankful for my height. I was a fearless person in many ways because I depended on God's providence to watch out for me and believe that I had a, had a guardian angel. And therefore, I did not immediately gravitate towards fear in the situation. I remained calm. I surveyed the well walls and decided that all I had to do was to find the roots in the soil, grab hold of them and climb up using them to help me get out. The well's exit was many, many feet above my head. There were no roots anywhere in the soil because the land above had no trees. So when I dug my fingers into the soil, the soil crumbled in my hands. Then I decided that I would push my back against one side of the circular well wall and stretch out my arms and legs to meet the opposite sides of the circular well and shimmy my body upward. Unfortunately, my arms and legs were not long enough to reach any of the well's sides. Still, 
I did not panic. Then I thought, well, my sister is topside. I'll call to her. Though I knew that her arm was too short to be able to meet my arm, even if mine was fully extended. If I if it did reach mine, which I doubted, I asked myself, would she have the strength to pull me up and out? I also knew that she had been walking ahead of me and probably didn't even realize that I had dropped off the planet into this watery hellhole. I had been in the well for at least five minutes by, the time, by that time, but she hadn't poked her head down. So I didn't know if she knew where I was. Though seemingly on cue, her face appeared at the exit of the well. Her dimples a welcome sight. She could tell my parents at least where I was if she couldn't pull off a rescue. I turned to God and asked him to help me get out of that well. Then without another thought passing through my mind, I found myself in an instant standing topside and looking down into the well. My sister was nowhere in sight. I was near frozen and shivering from my time in the well, and my snowsuit was heavy with cold, icy water that had seeped through to my skin, so I didn't give her much thought. I was more interested in making the miserable trek home to get out of my wet, heavy snowsuit and warm myself up. I distinctly recall that it was a most painful walk. I guess that was my first divine intervention. If you don't count how I came into the world, which I was too dumb to identify in the moment, especially when once I was topside and my sister had disappeared. Years later, I mentioned the incident to her and she said, Mary Beth, I have absolutely no rec recollection of that incident. You must be dreaming. But I know I wasn't. And I thanked the Lord for allowing my guardian angel to intervene, intervene in the real world to help me. For some reason, I guess God wanted me here on the earth. Incense rising. It may have been God's first divine intervention, but it wasn't his last in my life. When I was six years old, I woke from a REM dream to find myself sitting upright in my bed, sweating profusely and filled with fear. I cautiously studied the room looking for any unwanted visitor but seeing none, I returned to sleep and entered again right into REM sleep and to the dream that had woken me only moments before. I considered the dream to be benign and was surprised at the physical reactions it caused in me, not to mention the fear it aroused in me. Now, that spring at the end of the street, I had come upon a small garden of daffodils that someone had planted in the vacant lot. I saw that they were being suffocated by the previous fall's leaves, weeds, and sticks. So I meticulously weeded them, ensuring their survival. 
these spring buds, which I thought initially were tulips, were the star of the dream that I had that night. When I found myself sitting upright, sweating profusely and full of fear, there appeared a lone tulip with a plumage of smoke arising from its very center, like incense rising towards heaven. I checked the room again for any unwanted visitors and finding none, I then returned to sleep. No sooner had I shut my eyes and returned to REM sleep that I found the same dream of the smoking tulip waiting there for me. After the third time of waking and experiencing the same side effects, I knew that I had to deal with the situation because I wasn't going to get any sleep if I didn't. It was a benign dream, and I didn't understand why it had been so upsetting to me. I liked the tulips, but not enough to worry about their demise. I did what I could for them. I reluctantly decided that I would go to my parents' room, but I remember that I was extremely hesitant to awaken them in the wee hours of the morning to tell them that I had some inconsequential dream about a smoking tulip, which didn't sound like a credible reason to wake them even to me. I didn't know what I'd say to them, and that bothered me. I didn't want them to think that I was afraid of some stupid dream. But something was driving me to do so, and though I didn't want to, I knew I had to go forward and do it, despite how stupid I believed it would make me look. As soon as I crossed the threshold of my parents' bedroom that night, my father popped up and turned on the bedroom light that sat on the bedside table. I never had to say a word. God saved me from being embarrassed. My father and I were looking at one another through a smoky haze, and our faces were covered in a black soot. It turned out that our kitchen stove, which served as another way to heat the house during the early spring weather, had sprung a pinhole or a, a leak and allowed the smoke to fill the whole house. Everyone was rusted, roasted from out of their bed and were coughing profusely. It wasn't time for the Wad family to pass away, I guess. I guess the devil's plan got foiled again. God's will supersedes everyone else's. That night, he chose me as his messenger and used the image of a simple tulip to do his bidding. He can use anything to get his point across. Here's Another one, and I call this an unfulfilled prophecy of imminent death. I was 10 years old around in November of 1959 and was sitting in my fifth grade classroom one afternoon when I heard the nuns talking in the hallway outside our classroom door. I heard them say, the bishop is visiting and he'll be leaving the rectory around 4 p.m. to come over to the convent. I thought to myself, I think I'll hang around after school and get a special audience with the bishop today. 
little social climber that I was. 4 p.m. came and went, as did 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. Several times I decided to give up on my quest and head back home. But each time I did, a small voice chastised me for doing so and said, go back. I went back and worried that the bishop had gone out the side door and made his way over to the convent without my seeing him. So I checked by watching both doors. I was going crazy. Finally, at 7 p.m., the bishop came out of the rectory. I knelt down and kissed his ring. He placed his hands atop of my head and prayed for what seemed to me to be an inordinate amount of time. When he was finished, I raced home. I was happy and felt that I had received a special blessing from an apostle of Christ. And indeed, I had. I always wondered what he prayed for me that evening. Looking back, I believe it may have been a twofold prayer initiated by Christ, who knows all things. But I do believe that one thing he prayed for that evening was preservation of my life, which was threatened by death the following June. That following June, I teetered once again on the brink of death. I had contracted a urine infection, I believe, which had gone untreated and had turned into kidney failure. I was unable to hold down a drop of water and had the dry heaves every time I tried to drink. I was so thirsty and weak that I could not get out of bed for what seemed to be a week. One night, I fell onto my sister's big toe, who I shared a bed with at that time, and it pressed into my abdominal area, and I let out a pain-filled cry. I got out of bed and struggled and headed towards the kitchen to try and get a sip of water. My mother heard me cry out and met me in the living room. She took my temperature and it was 105.1 degrees. The next morning, the doctor showed up. He examined me and then motioned to my mother to come with him into the kitchen. I was interned on the living room couch within hearing distance. And everyone knows the old saying that little pigs have big ears. Well, I was no different. I heard the doctor say to my mother, I'm afraid, Mrs. Ward, that your daughter is near death and that she may die. My mother gasped. He then said to my mother, I'm going to go back to my office and think this over, and I will get back to you soon. He had said that I might have scarlet fever. He called my mother back a little while later, and my father went to pick up some medicine at the pharmacy. That day, 
I scoffed at the daughter's prediction that I might die. And I said, God's not going to let me die. And he didn't, though it took three months for me to recover. I meet my compassion. I meet my compassion in the form of an elderly woman. When I turned 13, I talked my best friend's mother into getting me a job as a dishwasher at the nursing home that she worked at. I was skilled at washing dishes and felt that I needed money to help with my expenses because I was finished within a short period of time and I still had two hours on the clock. The nurses sent me to change the briefs, bed, and clothes of an elderly woman who resided on the second floor. I found an old woman, old woman who had a severe case of diarrhea. Every time I changed her, she'd go again. I couldn't leave her like that in good conscience. So I continued to change her until it was time for me to go home. I changed her innumerable times. I told the nurses that she had diarrhea before I left. The next day when I came to work, I was told she had died that night. Somehow I felt that it was my fault and I never returned to work after that day. This one I called Wearied Summer. I might as well start with how I was feeling the summer before I was to enter into my freshman year of high school. I never asked my parents to buy or give me anything. I understood they had a large and growing family to provide for. And I was not a selfish person who was concerned with only my wants and wishes. They always came through on Christmases and everyone's birthday. And to me, that was enough. The summer prior to my entrance into high school, my mother was preoccupied and never thought to ask me what I needed for clothes for the coming school year. I was worried. I never said anything to her or anyone about my concerns. I just kept thinking about it. And as the time drew nearer, I became more anxious and I prayed constantly about it. One day, out of the blue, our next door neighbor came out of her house with two box pleated skirts wrapped in Anton cleaners bags and asked me if I wanted them. I nearly jumped for joy. They fit perfectly and appeared to be brand new. God hears everything. And yes, he listens to every prayer, even those for new clothes. 15, the worst year of my life. This story connects to something down the road. At 15, I was the biggest mess that you could ever find. I was suffering mentally and just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I was never a person and still am not a person who would run to anyone to tell my troubles to. I kept my own counsel, especially back then. At any rate, my mother had had her last child the year that I was 15. And I remember standing at the elevator, waiting for it to come back up to the mater maternity ward 
so that I could go back down and reach the ground floor and begin my walk homeward. While waiting for the elevator, I distinctly remember my thoughts, which were this. Now, there is no hope for me to be close to my mother. I will leave you here with me at this juncture and moment in my life when I was 15. And down the road, during my witness, I will reveal to you how God remembers everything that we say and that he is that he somehow is never far from us. St. John's Hospital Nurses Aid Training Course. When I was 16, I enrolled in a six-week training in six week a six-week training program to become a nurse's aide. I met three people who became friends of mine and two throughout most of my life. I was green. I worked on a few floors. And when I was assigned to the emergency room, my multitasking ability proved invaluable to the nurse and doctor who were on duty. And I was never again assigned anywhere else to work. One night while I was on duty, a young man of 11 years old arrived. His parents said that he had fallen off a swing earlier in the day and that he appeared to be all right, but that later in the evening, he started to seize continuously. I ushered them into one of the rooms and reported it to the doctor. The doctor examined the child and told me that I was to forego all my other jobs for the evening and remain with the patient. He instructed me to call out every time he had another seizure, which I did. I was upset to see this young boy going through these seizures. He remained unconscious and was seizing often. He was only five years younger than I was. I was concerned about his health and recovery. I prayed constantly for him that night until at 10.45 p.m., the neurologist arrived. Both the nurse and the doctor were many years my senior. And when I was told to climb up on the gurney and hold the young man in the fetal position and not allow him to move an, even an inch, I understood it was because I was the most agile among them. I did as I was told and begged God not to let the young man move while I was holding him. He did not move, not even an inch. I was dismissed and told that I could go home and then I did not have to clean everything up. The next night, I went on break to the pediatric wing to visit the young man who I was told had suffered a brain hemorrhage. I stood at the window, which looked into his room and pray for him. I pleaded and begged God to help him get better. I said thousands of Hail Marys and Our Fathers. I knew no other way than that to help him. And I wanted to help him 
badly. My heart was full of compassion for him. I visited him on my supper break for months. During those many long months, he did not improve any that I could see. He laid still upon the cooling mattress without moving a muscle. I was losing hope. Finally, I realized that I had become depressed over seeing him with no visible improvement and that I could no longer return because of it. Months later, I stepped on the elevator and pressed the button to return to the bottom floor after my supper break. But unbeknownst to me, the elevator was going up, not down. When I stepped off the elevator, I did not realize at first that I was on the wrong floor until I looked to the left and realized that I was on pediatrics and that I must have pressed the wrong button. I then looked straight ahead and what I saw gladdened my heart. The young man who had sustained the brain hemorrhage and that I had prayed for was walking with the aid of leg braces with his mother and father on either side of him. These things were but the start of my journey with God. And though I prayed about things, I didn't fully realize that the outcomes were the results of my prayers. God doesn't always show his cards to us. I didn't come to fully realize that God existed until years later when the Holy Spirit of God came for a visit at my house. This one I called the visitation. My oldest son suffered from debilitating pneumonia frequently as a small child. At one point, the doctor advised us to move to a dry climate such as Arizona. This news was devastating to me. One afternoon, my husband's parents had come for a visit. My son, at the time, was on a prednisone taper. He was lying on the living room couch, his face fuller than a full moon. I got depressed every time I looked at him. I told my mother-in-law what the doctor had said, and then I went to wash up the noonday dishes. I heard my son, my son say, Grandma, what are you doing? And she replied, I'm asking Jesus to heal you. A peace fell over the three connected rooms, the kitchen, the dining room, and the living room. It was a peace that I felt. And with it, I felt the presence of God. And I felt as if he brushed past me to go into the living room. My son never had another sick day from that moment on. He had spent the first three and a half years of his life in the hospital. I will always feel gratitude towards Christ for healing my son and for my mother-in-law knowing enough to ask for his healing. Thank you so much, Mary, for sharing your stories with us. God has revealed himself to you so many times, and that's awesome. I love hearing about divine intervention. 
especially in this day and age where we tend to be a doom and gloom society. But not us. We are God's children, and we know that miraculous things are happening all around us. I think these witnesses are so helpful because even though we may know God performs miracles, it's always nice to reaffirm our faith by listening to actual examples from people we know or people in this day and age. Thank you so much, Mary. I know you said you have other ones you're working on, and we can't wait to hear them. We have all seen God working in our lives. However, we might not all be aware it is God working in our lives. This is why it's so important we start talking about it more. The more we share our experience, the more people will understand how God works and how much He truly loves us. If you would be willing to share any experience you've had of how God has worked or is working in your life, please email me at Catherine at finding true north coaching.com and that's c-a-t-h-e-r-i-n-e at finding true north coaching.com or just click on the link below it won't take up much of your time and your story could be just the story that someone needs to hear today prayerfully consider sharing everyone has a story and the world needs to hear them I look forward to spending time with you again tomorrow, and I will have another witness for you next Wednesday. Have a blessed day!